Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today I have special guest Ella, who you might all know as Purple Ella. Ella is an autistic adult with ADHD who is a public speaker, content creator and YouTuber. She makes fantastic videos sharing thoughts and tips on life as a proud neurodivergent adult. Ella lives with her husband, three children, a cat called Katsu and Coco, who is an adorable autism service dog. So Ella, do you want to say hi? Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for asking me to do this. No worries. It's really nice to have you on. I have followed you um, for many years and it's exciting to have a nice chat with you. (laughs) So let's jump right in. Um, So I tend to start off with asking about like your diagnosis. So I know you're diagnosed with autism, ADHD, and is it HEDS? Like H-E-D-S, I don't know how you say it. <laughs> I don't know how you say it either. And I, I can't okay. even say Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome properly. Ehlers-Danlos, Ehlers-Danlos. I don't know. Whenever yeah. I talk about it, I'm like, I've just said that probably completely wrong. Okay, so cool. Call it whatever. Nice. EDS. H-E-D-S, cool. maybe. So do you want to maybe start with the autism diagnosis and then we can kind of talk about your ADHD and EDS as well? Yeah, well, it actually probably makes sense to start with the dyspraxia diagnosis that I, that I did okay. actually get as a child. Okay. Uh, so as a child, my um, my mum worked in a uh, special needs school, predominantly mm-hmm. with autistic children. And then she went on to work in a language unit supporting autistic children that was attached to a mainstream school. So autism has been in my life forever I guess because I used to go in and help Uh, and she'd noticed that you know my development wasn't typical and had taken me to see an ed psych and so I was diagnosed with dyspraxia as quite a young child like six or seven (laughs) Um, but never really thought I was told but never really thought about it a huge amount Um, and then my uh, eldest child I started noticing probably when she was about two that maybe her development wasn't entirely typical and then followed kind of five years of umming and erring. We saw a pediatrician who said, oh, uh, when she was three, said, oh, she's probably fine. And eventually she was diagnosed when she was eight. Um, And when she was diagnosed, I had personally gone through several decades of quite significant mental health issues, which um, had never really completely resolved. Like I'd learned ways of coping with the issues that I was having, but A, they didn't really fit into any stereotypical mental health diagnoses that I'd looked at. The meds didn't seem to work. The strategies didn't seem to work. So I'd kind of found my own way to navigate the world. And um, then when my daughter was diagnosed, I think I looked at the issues that I was having and kind of went, oh, this sounds like maybe this is me too. And, but thought I was completely, you know, I think when you first consider that you might be autistic as an adult, Mm -hmm. there is a part of you going, am I bonkers or neurotic (laughs) or overthinking this? Um, So I kind of thought I'd test it, test it out on some family and friends thinking they'd all laugh me out of the room and all but one friend kind of went, yeah, yeah. Did you not realise? <laughs> of course you're autistic. It makes yeah. total sense. I've thought it for years. So right. <laughs> that was kind of reassuring, but also like, what? Why did you not think to mention it to me? Yeah. Um, and my husband, who I guess was the big litmus test, if you like, because he r- really knows me the best, kind of went, yeah, actually, I definitely think that's worth exploring. I don't think that's too far out there. Let's, you know, let's try and get an assessment. And I did get an assessment and I was diagnosed. 
um, really fortunately on the NHS um, without too much trouble, really. Mm-hmm. So at the time I was 36, I had still got quite young children. I hadn't really found my place in the world career-wise. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to go on the internet and talk about this because that's something that would have been useful to me. There were already people talking about autism, obviously, but I think in the last couple of years it has massively exploded. At the time, it was more like a handful of people talking about autism on the internet. (laughs) So I started to do that, and that's been really rewarding. And skipping forward a little bit, at some point during the pandemic, my youngest daughter, who already was uh, diagnosed as autistic, also received an ADHD diagnosis. So I was looking at ADHD information because um, she had been diagnosed with something that I hadn't really researched a huge amount. And, you know, like every good autistic person, I needed to know everything I possibly could about this diagnosis to support the best that I can. And when, oh, my God, I've got ADHD. Like, really, not even maybe, like, really, I tick so many of these boxes um, because I'd always wondered, so I'm autistic. Why am I not quiet and bookish, (laughs) you know? Right. and, and yeah, so my husband then also went off and did some research and was like, oh, my God, yeah, you really do have ADHD. So, uh, okay. yeah, the wait list for the NHS services was really, really long, like three to four years. And we were in a pandemic, so it wasn't going to get shorter. Wow. So I actually went and got a, a private diagnosis with a service that now is doing loads of NHS work. Um, and that was last September, so relatively new. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've been really passionate about supporting because actually the autism ADHD combo isn't that uncommon. There are a lot of people with that dual diagnosis and I couldn't find anyone really. I mean, you, there probably are creators that I haven't come across, but I couldn't find anyone really talking about having both, how they interact, how some strategies for one totally don't work for the other and how to how to mm-hmm. navigate that and find a route through that with a happy life um so since then I've kind of been all about that like hey let's yes there's all these individual labels but some of us have got dyspraxia and autism some of us have got dyslexia and ADHD let's look at all of that and how do we navigate the world with those individual brains so yeah that was a really long answer and I'm not sure it was what you asked me yeah yeah, it was exactly it's really interesting to hear how like you've been through the process your children have been through the process your husband has like been throughout being like yeah I think so (laughs) it's really interesting to hear like from like your whole family's perspective of that you know you were kind of introduced to ADHD through you know one of your children's diagnosis and it's it's weird what you can then see in yourself when you start to really look and it's it's really interesting to hear how your process from having the dyspraxia like when you were little, like really, I don't know, kind of started off the kind of chain of events in terms of, you know, knowing stuff. And to be 36 and diagnosed with autism, that's a, that's such a like long time to go without knowing. I was diagnosed 20, age 25 and that that's long enough. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, for like an extra 10 years, I can't, I can't imagine like, did you find like a lot of stuff has kind of fallen into place in terms of realizing like traits and things that you'd sort of had when you were little at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, navigating, getting married, starting a career and having three children with completely no knowledge that I'm autistic. I do look back on that. And I think like, and I don't know whether it's okay to say this, but by God, you're pretty awesome. Like you've managed to do all of this. Um, 
which is something I could never have said pre-autism diagnosis because I felt like a complete failure. So I will say those years before the diagnosis were a constant battle to, of going, what is wrong with me? You know? yeah. um, and since the diagnosis, and I think particularly since getting both the autism and the ADHD diagnosis, I'm like, okay, I know what my brain is about now. And I think the last couple of years, because prior to the pandemic, I'd say my following online was significantly smaller than it is now. And there are people that have been watching me for years. And thank you. If you're one of those people, I love that community that's always been there. But it meant that I got more more messages, more emails, more exposure, more pressure to be keep being good and keep growing and keep and improve my production values and just all this pressure. Whilst at the same time, I have a child that's at home full time because we haven't got a special school place for her yet that I am basically homeschooling mm-hmm. and a husband that works full time and two other children who, you know, need stuff. Um, so I look at that and I think I coped with that really well and it's gone really well. And I've found a way to navigate it that I could never have done if I didn't know all of this information about my brain and how I need to care for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, because people say, don't they, why would you get a diagnosis as an adult? What is there to be gained from it? And I always say, if you learn how to care for yourself accurately because you know what you need, that's yeah. just going to improve your life. And mm-hmm. that's where I'm at now. Not 100%. I'm still working on it, but so much more than when I was just in the dark about my neurology, trying to figure out why am I freaking out in the street, the supermarket, you know, yeah. etc. Exactly. So, yeah. And I think it makes me a better parent to my neurodivergent children uh, because it's not a thing. You know, we're like, yeah, my brain's like this, your brain's like that. And yeah. so I'm glad for them that they are growing up with me having that knowledge. Yeah, I think that's great that they have someone to look up to and someone that they know, because I think a lot of people when they get diagnosed, they don't necessarily know anyone close who is going through the same thing. And I'm very much a believer of that. It doesn't matter what age you are, you deserve a diagnosis. You know, it makes it makes a difference no matter how old you are, you know, whether you're 60 or something and find out you're autistic, like you still deserve to know. And like you say, it helps you realize so many things and it can kind of help in terms of, I don't know, it just kind of sheds a little bit of light on why you feel different or potentially broken when actually you're not. And, you know, like you're saying, you've done so much not knowing that you were autistic and to raise three children and be married and, you know, be juggling all this content creation stuff as well is, it's so much to be doing for, for anyone, let alone someone who is autistic and, you know, homeschooling and all that. So I think it's, it's really interesting to hear the process behind, like, I don't know, just like your family dynamic and stuff is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky in that my family, including my husband, have always been so supportive of the work that I do. And that's definitely mm-hmm. been a great help. There's Mr. Purple's always in the background going, so what problem are you having with this camera? What problem are you having with that? How can we get some better lights? You know, thank goodness, because I'm terrible at that stuff. And obviously the kids are well proud. Oh, that's lovely. I think, I think it's so cool that they, I don't know, just have like a mum who's also neurodivergent and you know, can potentially see through that lens what like they're seeing as well. I think that's really cool. Um, And it's nice that you'd like to chat about that online and that you're open about like your children also being neurodivergent and stuff like that. Like it's nice to, I don't know, like hear of a different family dynamic as well. (laughs) And I think it normalizes the experience that being autistic doesn't mean that you can't um, 
navigate being a parent or having a relationship. Yeah. I think there was this belief, wasn't there, in the past that autistic people couldn't do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's good to be, it's good to be kind of like ahead of, like ahead of the, have have kind of reached that stage and hopefully be someone that people, you know, maybe people your age can go, oh, um, well, maybe that's something, if that's something that I want, that's something that I can have. Yeah. Exactly. And just to show that, you know, if you find the right partner in life, you know, and find the right kind of support network and stuff like that, like you can thrive and you can do what is potentially considered normal and things like that if you want to. So yeah, definitely. Like for me as well, having someone like you online, it's like, oh, great. You can see someone who's doing well and is being like honest about your struggles as well, because I don't know. I feel like a lot of online stuff is very like rosy and like, oh, you know, life is brilliant. Well, actually it's not, (laughs) it's not all, you know, like, like song and dance and stuff like that's difficult, like bits. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to put that stuff up. It's hard. I always kind of, um, and uh, you know, when I'm going to put up a Mm. post that's about a struggle, like I've recently gone through, uh, experiencing burnout and having to deal with that. And I've been quite public about that. Mm -hmm. And I, I always sort of press, the button to put it up going have I gone too far (laughs) sharing yeah (laughs) but I do like I really think if I was always just like yeah so if you do these strategies then um your life is going to be smooth and you're never going to have a meltdown then that would just be a lie wouldn't it (laughs) yeah exactly you can't yeah you don't want to give off that impression when actually you know it's a it's a real mix so yeah yeah, I definitely get you and when did the whole kind of EDS thing come in as well was that like between diagnoses or is that something you found out like more recently so um I would say that I've had symptoms really minor symptoms of EDS since my early teens you know I had a lot of kind of minor injuries and twisted things that now I look back and think mm. and I was always prone to digestive issues and you know the, th- the things but like little niggly things that most people have and you go to your GP and you sort it out and you get on with your life mm. and then at some point in my early 30s after I'd had my third child as she was a baby I started to really struggle with fatigue and digestive issues and pain in a way that was disrupting my life so I ended up with a ME diagnosis because obviously you know they ran all the tests they didn't find anything at this the usual route to an ME diagnosis so I believe that that's what I was dealing with for about I don't know five years after that and then because at the time I didn't know I was autistic and so I didn't know about I'd never heard of EDS (laughs) Uh, and then fast forward five years on from that I'd always managed with the ME to be someone who could work during the day but then crash out on the sofa in the evening you know so kind of a mild case I guess Mm -hmm. it disrupted my life but I wasn't having to give too much up to accommodate it um and then at some point I think I was about 38 39 maybe I crashed really really hard and couldn't get out of bed for about (laughs) four months five months and I was in a wheelchair when I was out and I remember that and I was working I was I I started Purple Alibi then I remember having to go and do a few events that I'd committed to in a wheelchair just kind of slumped there kind of going let me talk to you about autism (laughs) it was kind of a hideous year really where my friends were like helping me and um I wasn't able to see my kids performances in school or take them to the park where I was in bed just watching life happen and it was really hard and Mr Purple obviously found that really hard too at some point during that 
Um, I was I was already booked to speak at the Women and Girls National Autistic Society Conference, and it was the second year in a row that I'd done, and it was in London. And um, so two of my friends supported me. I was in a wheelchair. I had a hideous – it was just – it was really quite hard work to be there. And I met Laura James, who wrote Odd Girl Out. Yes, yeah. Um, I'd already chatted to her online, but I met her in person and she has a, an EDS, a H, I think it's HEDS she's got, but I, I wouldn't commit to that diagnosis. And we spoke about my symptoms and she sort of said, you know, and I'd always been hypermobile. That's how I ended up, used to be a circus artist for anyone that doesn't know. And that's how I ended up doing that mm-hmm. um, in part because I did have that natural flexibility and it all just kind of made sense. So I went to the GP and the GP was like, yeah, no, we don't diagnose that. You've got ME. As the GP, when you've got an ME diagnosis, you can go in with anything. And they'll go, yeah, you've got ME. You're doing really well. Carry on. Right. Uh, so I was getting nothing from the, from the GP. So I spoke to Laura again and she recommended a particular doctor in London who had diagnosed her privately. So I did um, pay and go and have that private appointment and was diagnosed with EDS. Um, but actually, more recently, I actually finally saw a rheumatologist in an NHS hospital about two months ago, mm-hmm. and um, she diagnosed me with EDS. So now I have an NHS diagnosis to add okay. to the which is good because <laughs> when you see specialists in the NHS, they will see it on my notes and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah, I guess was I diagnosed? I think I was like forty-one by the time I was diagnosed, so a couple of years ago now, um, okay. and that's been really helpful to know for sure. Wow. I love how you said like to add to your collection. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we actually at one point, because obviously, so my youngest daughter has ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia and autism. Mm -hmm. And my middle child has EDS and my eldest has has autism. And so we were wondering if we could fill the alphabet. You know, excellent. <laughs> ADHD, EDS, they all seem to be letters. Yeah. <laughs> so we did try and write it out, but we were like, no, we're nowhere near having the conditions. <laughs> where would you get Z from? True. That is very true. I love that you were trying to make a whole like alphabet <laughs> diagnosis. That's a, lot, that's a lot to like juggle in terms of like appointments for yourself and your children and like to keep on top of in terms of like school and stuff like that like that that's a lot going on on top of you know just daily life and your job and stuff like that so I can imagine that there's, there's just a lot to think about all the time like being yeah. a mom and <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> definitely it's definitely yeah. mental. I have a very detailed organization system <laughs> and um, <laughs> I also have really learned recently something I've learned really recently that I'm trying to pass on to as many autistic people as I can is that I did not know up until I experienced burnout recently I did not know about prioritizing to-do lists <laughs> So I'd write a to-do list and I'd be like, oh, gosh, there's a lot of things to do today. That's a bit much. Um, Not manage to do it, feel like I'd failed and repeat. And so I was searching for like the perfect organizational app or Mm -hmm. system. And I looked at bullet journaling and calendar blocking. And none of those things worked for me because none of them are really flexible enough for I can't do anything today because my body says no. Yeah. You know, Um, so I learned about prioritizing. So basically I make a list and I'm allowed to prioritize three things on it. And those three things have to get done and all the rest can go. And I'm getting to the point, I promise. Um, And (laughs) it's not so much about the system and whether the system works as it's taught me that there are some things that you cannot do and the world won't end. 
Yeah. And I've had to learn that to navigate, as you say, an extremely complicated life with a huge to-do list um, and a lot of self-care needs for myself. I've had to learn to let things go mm. and just be like, I did not organize the birthday present <laughs> for the class teacher and I'm okay with that, you yeah. know, or whatever it might be. Exactly. You're one person. You can't achieve everything all the time. Like <laughs> that's, that's a lot. That's really good. Like it's really interesting to say about like prioritizing because, you know, it can work in any setting. Like, I don't know, like in terms of like school homework or like, you know, college or uni and stuff like that. Like, you know, really prioritizing what needs to be in for when and stuff like that. Like that's a really good way of, you know, you don't have to complete an entire to-do list. You just get your top three things done. Like I can see how that really works. Like that's, that's a good method. I might have to, <laughs> I might have to try that. <laughs> I'll make it, I'm going to make a whole video. I've been doing this system for about eight months now. So I thought okay. I'm probably secure enough in it enough now to actually go, yeah, you know, this is a really flexible way of doing things that doesn't mean you'll go insane when you didn't <laughs> do your bullet journal or, you know, yeah. your goals or whatnot. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of autistic people are drawn to like apps and stuff like that. And like just trying to find any sort of way to like, I don't know, organize your thoughts and notes and to-do lists and stuff like that, because there is so much like running in your head all the time that actually it does make sense to try and write it down somewhere and try and, you know, have somewhere to tick it off. Um, but yeah, it'd be really interesting to see a video about that actually. <laughs> and it involves stationery. So what's not to love? <laughs> I have an issue just I don't know an issue with stationery I just I can't not buy it <laughs> I know I'm obsessed I'm a 42 year old woman who uses stickers because I was doing bullet journal ish for a bit and okay. I liked the idea of being able to put little stickers in and I would go on yeah. Etsy and buy all the cool because I'm yes. I'm sure if you follow me you know I love a bit of kawaii um yeah. and um but you have to do it in a certain way. So I now just yeah. buy stickers and just stick them in my journal, like in my to-do list, with no real reason other than they look cute. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I feel I feel like bullet journaling is like a real commitment, and like it has to look a certain way. Whereas with your own sort of journal, you can be like, yeah, just stickers anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can add whatever you like. Like I've started monitoring uh, what my mood was like, and a good thing that happened that day. Oh, that's nice. That's a because good idea. It's just useful because do you do this? Oh God, everything's terrible and everything has always been terrible. <laughs> yeah. You just like, uh, what do they call it? Like, I don't know, like disasterize everything. Catastrophizing. Like, catastrophizing, that's it. I am writing an article about catastrophizing <laughs> or I'd have lost the word too. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. You just, for some reason, like your brain just focuses on the bad stuff and doesn't see the, the good in the world. So that's a good way of doing it, like making yourself write a good thing <laughs> and also your what your mood was so you can look back and go actually I was in quite a good mood only three days ago so, <laughs> so take that pastella has proven you wrong yeah and to be like it will come back soon I'm sure yeah <laughs> I like, might feel happy again yeah I, I, I have experienced happiness here is evidence <laughs> yeah that's a really good way of doing it actually I might need to do that yeah I need to I need to get on top of prioritizing and like getting my mood down that sounds like yeah. a good idea. <laughs> but you don't have to do it. If you miss a day, that's fine. Yes. I like that kind of flexibility of like, you don't have to like, because otherwise you feel a bit like you failed if you like miss a day or something like that. So yeah, I actually bought, because um, I really like a uh, fern, is it Fern Cotton that does the Happy Place podcast? Yes. I always get Fern Britain and Fern Cotton mixed up in my head. <laughs> um, I think it's Fern Cotton, and I really like her, and I really like her Happy Pe Happy Place podcast. I would yes. recommend it to anyone listening who, once you've listened to every podcast on this particular 
podcast <laughs> that, but not before. Um, anyway, uh, so I bought her, I committed and bought her mood monitoring journal. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be on it. I'm going to have a journal. <laughs> but I didn't just buy her journal. I also bought another journal. I was like, I'm going to have all the journals. And I was filling out how much I'd drunk and I was filling out her. And after about a week, I was just really, really stressed because I just added nothing <laughs> to my to-do list. It's another thing to fill out. Yeah, yeah. I get you. Yeah, so too I, much, don't, I don't do that anymore. I do, I do a, if I feel in the mood, I might do this it's demand avoidance mon- managing isn't it it's yeah. like I'm not going to place demand on myself but it might be good if I do this yeah like if I'm in a good mood I might as well write it down <laughs> yeah exactly so you mentioned earlier like you had kind of like started up the kind of purple letter thing and you were you know battling with having to be in a wheelchair and the fatigue and stuff like that when when did you start like what year did you start your purple letter presence online and um, did you start with YouTube Okay, so yeah, so when my um when my youngest I've never talked about this actually, when my youngest daughter was born, I'd now had three children and been at home doing Play-Doh for four years. So I wanted to do something else. So I started a parenting blog. I was like, yeah, I could do a parenting blog. Um and that was really great. I did it for I did parenting. So this was in 2011 and I started the Purple Ella Autism content in 2016. So for quite a long time, I did parenting blogging in a fairly unsuccessful way. Like, you know, I had people read my blog, but not that, not that many. I did get a couple of free holidays. Well, not free because I had to work for them. But, you know, like it was that cliche thing that pictures of the kids etc um and that was good but then my kids started to get a bit older and to be honest I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable about talking about their stories on the internet like when they were tiny babies and I was breastfeeding and potty training I'd never talked about potty training that's a bad example when they were younger and I was breastfeeding and you know that stuff it felt like my story because when your children are that young you almost aren't separate beings um and then it, and that changed and I didn't want to talk about that anymore. And I got the autism diagnosis and I'd not, I'd looked at YouTube. So I'd been to lots of parenting blogger conferences and YouTube would come along and go, you should come onto YouTube. It's great. And I'd okay. go, oh God, there's a big difference between opening my laptop and typing and setting up a camera and editing a video and putting it on YouTube. So I'd yeah. start, so if you look at my channel, it's been there since around then because I, I, I got the name on YouTube because I wanted to know on YouTube, multiple people can have the same name, I think. Anyway. I had set up a channel and done nothing with it. Okay. Um, and I was still feeling that way. So I was a bit intimidated. So I thought, I'm just going to get my iPad. And I set up my iPad on a stack of books in my living room, sat on the floor, recorded my first video, which is the first video that you that I made about my assessment and my diagnosis in one take. So it required no editing. <laughs> it up. Excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then from there, I just kind of like, Again, demand avoidance, avoidance. Maybe I'll set up a camera. Maybe I'll start to have a look at iMovie and see if I can actually use it. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll try and promote this stuff. I gradually uh, started to get a bit more into it, but I was still at the time, like literally on a Wednesday, I think Wednesday was my filming day. On a Wednesday, I would get up, I would decide what I was going to talk about, write, like, write a rough outline, sit in front of camera, ramble. If you watch some of my earlier videos, I'll give like three examples to make one point, which is you know, not ideal. <laughs> but I think some people kind of like that because it was very real. Um, and uh, got very frustrated because I didn't feel like I was growing in the way that I wanted to grow because I wanted to help people. And to help people, you've got to get out there, haven't you? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I think I did that for, for three years and gradually and slowly got up to 6,000 subscribers over the course of about four years. Okay. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened and I found myself with a lot more free time and slightly older children who could fend for themselves. And I was like, right, okay, let's, back up. let's, let's buy a decent camera. Let's get some lighting. And I really, really went for it. Yeah. Um, and I just got to 23,000, I think. Okay. So in the course of, yeah, two years... Yeah, that's six to twenty. That's a lot of growth, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's been, and I was started up the club and the Discord group and the extra, extra things that I do now. And now I actually have a job because all that time, in all that four years, I never made a penny from it. I didn't make anything. Wow. <laughs> I never reached the YouTube sixty quid payment threshold. <laughs> I know that it's such, it's such a like difficult thing to reach, isn't it? Like that payout stage. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't making anything at all, and I was putting in loads of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and now I like I don't know whether you're allowed to be happy, but now I do make a living from making online content, and I feel yeah. like I've fallen down this dream rabbit hole into my like dream job, and I absolutely love it. That's great. That's great to hear that. Like you have reached a point where you can earn money because. It's like you say, it's all your time. It's all your effort. It's, you know, a lot of scripting, a lot of, of your, I imagine a lot of your like brain power goes into making these and you deserve to be able to, you know, financially, you know, get a reward from it. It's a job essentially. It's a job that only exists because people are willing to support the fact that it's a job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm really, really grateful for the, for the support that I've had and, uh, and also being able to call it a job, I think being yeah. able to call it a job, which I think I started being able to call it a job about a year ago. So it's like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh my goodness, I earned the same amount as minimum wage at that point, you know, like yeah. really, job, I can now officially call it a job, which meant exactly. that I could negotiate a full work day. So Mr. Purple now does a day of the house and I have a day in the office, um, okay. but it's given me the freedom to be more creative, I think, mm-hmm. and just be like, oh, I, b-roll footage i know that so b-roll footage for anyone that doesn't know is footage that you use that isn't you sat talking to camera so you might be talking about something and you'll have a bit of b-roll footage of you doing it and put the voiceover over the top and it just makes the video a bit interesting and i was just like so intimidated by the idea of doing this but now i'm like doing a bit of b-roll footage doing different angles doing silly things like dressing up like maria and singing songs from the sound of music you know just having like a lot more creative fun and ultimately yeah. i come from a creative background i was a dancer who ended up being a circus artist um and that's my background and I feel like the early YouTube years of making no money so not feeling like I could have that freedom became were very dry and and didn't engage that side of myself and so having YouTube and having TikTok as well which now which is really open to being creative has meant that I can combine the fact that I'm a performer and the things that I love with the knowledge that I've gained about autism and ADHD and create this like perfect job that I I would have just I can't imagine like five years ten years ago when I was going you've got no job you're weird you're not coping what's going on with you to be where I am now it just makes me so happy oh I'm glad to hear that I'm glad that you you feel like that as well and that you are happy in what you're doing and that you feel you can like put your own kind of spin on stuff and like be creative because I think that's important like you know you've got to like with your own like online presence you've got to be kind of you know show your own personality and it's got to be it's got to be like enjoyable for you otherwise you know takes kind of the fun out of it I guess Um, so how how do you manage all this like content creation if you've got like your TikTok going on and your YouTube going on like do you find that like 
you can kind of make videos for yourself that like you're interested in or do you find that you kind of I don't know have to like not like hop on trends as such but like do you feel like you have to make certain videos to kind of gain views and stuff like I'm always interested to understand the like way up between like yeah that's a really good question and something that's actually been on my mind a lot lately um so uh, yeah to some extent you have to you you get kind of blocked into a niche really you have to have an well I felt that I became more successful post-parenting blogging once I had a very specific niche so people are coming to me to hear about, at the time, autism. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, that's not all I'm about. And then the same thing happens on TikTok. If I put up a video that's about autism or ADHD, it's probably going to get a lot of views. If I put a thing up that's not that or that's, you know, um, it's going to get a lot less views. And so I have recently been like, okay, how do I navigate making the content that is SEO friendly on YouTube, for example, and mm-hmm. is going to help me keep this going as a job and keep the audience coming in with the fact that I want to have fun. So I've kind of come up with a, and, and have the time to make it all standard. I want to make it. So I've come kind of come up with a system whereby I completely ignore the rules about how much content creation I'm told I'm supposed to make. I'm told I'm supposed to make at least one video a week on YouTube and three a day on TikTok, I think is the current advice. Can you imagine? Yeah. So I go, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Um, (laughs) And also prioritized certain channels because I've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And right. if I were to try and keep up with a steady stream of quality content that I for all of those channels, I would be mental by now. So I think because video content is my thing, I focus on TikTok and YouTube <laughs> and then Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If I think of something I want to put up, I'm going to put it up, but I'm not doing that on a schedule. And then I have a really clear schedule for both my main channels. So I aim to make one YouTube video a fortnight and three TikToks a week, um, which is completely against the advice. Um, But I don't want to go be living burnout for the sake of this. It would be an inauthentic. Can you imagine? Hey, everyone, we should all adjust our lives to suit our neurology apart from me. And I'm going to run myself into the ground and you can all watch me do that. And that'll be really inspiring. No, that's silly, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I do that. And then... What I do is kind of one for me, one for them, if you like. Okay, yeah. So on TikTok and YouTube, I make one that I'm like, this is going to be a searchable video that people are going to, you know, it's going to do well. It doesn't always, but mostly I'm right. And then this is something that will make me really happy to make. It's not going to do as well, but I can live with that kind of interspersed. And I think that's the way to go for me. Yeah, that's good. At least that keeps it kind of a bit fresh in terms of like, you're not always having to do like specific autism. Like, you know, it could be something, I don't know, something that branches off that, but you don't. I've been doing a bit of talking about my dog, my dog. I enjoy doing that. That's nice. Like, it's nice to see like other aspects of your life and not just necessarily, you know, always focused on one thing, which I think is obviously, you know, I think people are genuinely online are quite nosy anyway so they tend to want to know a bit about your life as well as you know like your diagnosis and things like that so mm-hmm. that's really that's really good that you do like one for you one for them kind of thing yeah, <laughs> it's a nice balance and instagram i try to think of instagram because i'm not growing massively on instagram and i honestly i find instagram really intimidating so mm-hmm. what my instagram is entirely what i want to put up it's just totally me just, and yeah. <laughs> i don't need it to be successful <laughs> and so then, I, I'll I have a channel like that as well to be like, hey, this yeah. is me follow or don't I don't mind yeah. that's nice that's nice that you've got your own kind of space as well just to post what you like when you like kind of thing that's quite nice mm-hmm. <laughs> I find that about Instagram mm-hmm. as well you can get into the 
you know, a bit like TikTok where it's like you should be posting really regularly and actually you can't really have a life as well as doing that. <laughs> like you've got to live a bit. <laughs> yes, because you're quite successful on Instagram, aren't you? Is that your main channel, would you say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I think just because it's visual and I am an illustrator that it works, but I can understand that, you know, for video, you know, content creation, that YouTube would be like, the best place in terms of so I think that's probably why Instagram works for me potentially but like you say like I have Twitter I have YouTube I have TikTok as well but they're kind of like you know kind of on the back burner a bit where I'm like oh I should probably do something for that <laughs> I think it's wise I think it's really wise to focus in on the channel that is going to best suit your content yeah exactly I think yeah. that you know that's where you're going to get the most like you know eyeballs in terms of like people actually seeing your stuff and sharing it so yeah, yeah it's it's difficult it's it's hard to like weigh up all the different platforms isn't it and you want to be seen to be like kind of everywhere but actually that's a lot of effort <laughs> I'm just rebelling against the whole thing having been a content creator for a really long time I guess it must be over 10 years now if you include mm-hmm. parenting blogging I just will not follow the rules <laughs> gonna do i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do now because otherwise you just get you can get so caught up in numbers and stressing and have i got enough followers and am i doing look this person's doing all this should i be doing all that too like you know someone who's like for example um i really love jessica kelbrin fozard have you come across her Uh, oh she's amazing you should check her out so she has an awesome youtube channel awesome tiktok really cool three or four really cool instagram channels like there's one for her dog there's one for her there's one for her and her wife um and I would look at her and think, oh, gosh, I guess she's kind of my uh, someone I look up to yeah. who I think does what they do really well mm-hmm. um, that I'm inspired by. And so I would just get so caught up in and she's doing brilliantly. I've got to do brilliantly. And then I realized that I'm not her. And actually, yeah. actually, I really genuinely think and I think this is reflected with the fact that TikTok hasn't been as hard to grow. If you are doing you the way that works for you, I really think that's going to be more successful than just trying to fit into some rigid kind of rule-bound how to do social media, ABC step-by-step plan, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, like you say, like comparison, it's definitely like the thief of joy in terms of like you just think like, I'm not doing that or they're doing so much more or they're churning out more things. But actually, you know, sometimes it's a team of people, not just one person and I don't know, like you say, like people have like multiple channels and stuff and it just feels like they're doing well, but actually you've got to do what's right for you and, you know, to to risk burnout and stuff like that. It's, it's not worth it, is it? You might as well just do what you, you enjoy doing and stop there. <laughs> I think you hit upon, upon a really important point there that my husband did a lot of reminding me of. It's a team of people in some cases. Yeah. So you're seeing one person, you're not seeing the editor, you're not seeing the promoter, you're not seeing the manager, you're not seeing, you know, X, Y, Z. Whereas I really am, I actually now have a graphics person. He's been doing that for about eight months now. And prior to that, I had no one. But like, yeah, one day I hope to have an editor and I hope, you know, and then maybe I'll be able to produce more content. But yeah, I think when you're, because I think it's really important because I think a lot of young content creators are coming online now and uh, feeling all that pressure. I think focusing on the fact that you are just you and most of these really big content creators have a team is a really important thing to do. Yeah. I've had emails like that. Where it's like, dear Emily and team. And I'm like, no, it's it's just me. It's just me. <laughs> I had a I had a, a meeting, an exciting meeting, but I can't tell you more than that the other day. And the person said to me, So you probably want to run this past your manager, won't you? And I was like, Hey Ella, do you think we should do 
oh, yeah, I think we should do this. <laughs> Just a, like conversation between yourself. <laughs> yeah, like I've got a manager. I mean, <laughs> I love that people have that impression of like, you know, people it's like, no, it's just just me <laughs> in my house yeah amazon at the bottom half <laughs> yeah exactly you don't you're not seeing everything <laughs> i'm glad you get that as well <laughs> yeah i do and have you found like in the kind of like i know you're like a public speaker as well have you found mm-hmm. in the pandemic that's kind of gone down or have you had more opportunity to like speak more at like virtual events and stuff like how how have you found like not speaking in in public as such like have you have you still had like events and stuff I mean, I love it because I get a lot of anxiety around travel. So that's always been something that's been tricky for me. Um, So I really have enjoyed being able to do, yes, I've had some online um, speaking events that I've done uh, during the pandemic. Not loads and loads because actually I kind of consciously, I'm more interested in the content creation than I am in public speaking. Not because I don't enjoy public speaking, but because public speaking generally involves travel and I find that really hard. Um, So I kind of consciously thought this is an opportunity for me to focus on the content creation and not be split two ways. Um, So I took some, but not many. And moving forward, I think that's my plan, basically, that that I'll that I'll mostly be at home. Is this me just saying I'd like to stay at home? Yeah, when <laughs> we go out again, <laughs> yeah. I'll mostly be at home doing what I do online. And there are some things like I'd love to do VidCon. That would be really fun. Um, there are some things that I'd love to go and speak at, but I'm not probably going to do as much. I used to do a lot of kind of going to individual schools and and providers, and and that's great and helpful. And uh, I wish that I wasn't unwell and I could still keep doing that stuff. But I think what I'll keep my public speaking to the sort of, God, this sounds really arrogant, to the larger events, darling. (laughs) (laughs) You've done it and you've tried it. And for you, it's just too much in terms of, you know, spoons and stuff like that. I think that's totally valid to be like, actually, you'd rather do something bigger and know that, you know, you might speak to more people in that way. And the fact that you've done school talks, you know, it's not like you're, saying you've never done them (laughs) and I think also the dream like I I have this little kind of private dream that I could develop some um training packages if you like Mm -hmm. and then employ autistic people who are perhaps struggling to get employment to and train them to go and deliver it that'd be cool um, so that I'm not leaving my house, which is, as we've established, the the most important (laughs) thing Um, and when I'm getting those requests, I'm there's work for people that would benefit from from having that work. Yeah. So that's a, it's not just my dream. So Roz, um, who you may have seen on some of my videos, who mm-hmm. I work with sometimes, it's something that we would maybe do together. But okay. it is totally a pipe dream. It's something we've talked about for years. But yeah, it, that's a lovely idea. Though it's like getting you know actually autistic people out and you know employing them but also you know it gives you the ability to potentially train and also speak through people in in some way that's I think that's a really nice idea yeah thank you (laughs) especially like you know like employing people of different ages because I think sometimes when like you're at school and someone in their like you know 50s or 60s come to speak you're like I don't really relate to them like whereas if you know it might be an autistic person who's a teen or like young adult it might you might be able to kind of relate to them a little bit more potentially so yeah exactly (laughs) and I suppose the other thing about not doing as much of that work during the pandemic means I've been able to go on a few podcasts and like give up time yeah in that way and 
that's kind of fun too. That's been fun meeting, meeting new people and doing that. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's nice. I think like it's, it's really interesting to hear how like you've really like grown like your presence, but also just like speaking stuff in general and I don't know, just to hear like a little bit about your life as well. It's really interesting. <laughs> I think it's really useful. Um, my husband uh, also runs a business. He's, he runs an ele- electrician business um, mm-hmm. and he's got three staff. <laughs> it's proper business. And he's been working with a business coach and reading lots of business coach books. And whilst there's a part of me that just goes, oh, no, that's all very corporate <laughs> and capitalist. Um, some of the principles are really useful. And I think that's what's been really handy for me is being able to go, right, why do I do what I do? And what specifically? Because prior to that, I was throwing a bit here, a bit there. Maybe I'll write a book. I'll do some public speaking. Maybe I'll do some consultancy. I'm going to make some online content stuff. I'm going to work in autism somewhere, you know, um, and being able to go, what do I actually want to do? What brings me joy? Uh, <laughs> and how do I find a way to do that uh, yeah. is uh, is is really quite a good thing to do and I think there's a video on I think it's maybe a TED talk on YouTube called finding your why or something like that and it's a bit yeah. corporate and businessy but I think it's if you're if you're at that point like you're self-employed and you're like okay so what direction do I want to go in it's a really good thing to watch and then kind of uh, take the principles into your life and figure out why you're doing what you're doing because that tells mm-hmm. you exactly then what you need to do moving yeah. forwards yeah and it's good to like also like reassess every so often like am I going in the right direction am I is this what I want you know am I doing like like for me I try and be like am I doing the freelance stuff that I want to do or am I you know just saying yes and trying to people please like it's difficult to get that balance of like you know stuff you enjoy but also like you don't want to make your work kind of you know something you like dread doing or like a to-do list where you're like I really don't want to do this so it is difficult um to kind of I don't know weigh that up but also interesting that you're kind of looking into like business stuff as well in terms of like you know you can learn stuff from like other industries and I love a good TED talk so I might have to watch that one <laughs> <laughs> try to look past the fact that you might feel like you should be a, a white man in a business suit whilst watching right. okay I'll try that. <laughs> I think we kind of chatted a little bit about the pandemic but like how how did you kind of manage throughout did you prefer like for me I've preferred living and working from home and it sounds like you have as well in terms of not needing to travel and stuff like that do you find Mm -hmm. like do you find that you stopped kind of going out as much like are you finding it hard to get back out into the world well I didn't I wasn't someone who went out a huge amount anyway because of my physical health condition I think the thing the thing the thing that I found hardest was I have a really close friendship network who are part of what keeps Ella standing so when I'm really struggling these are the people that tell me that I'm enough and you know let me sit in their houses and, and give me dinner when I'm just sat there like being very autistic and not, <laughs> not well. And so not having that network yeah. because we couldn't visit each other's houses was really, really hard. Um so at the start of the you know the first lockdown, um I think we were all the same way, weren't we? Like, hey, we'll bake some banana bread and we'll t- this is okay. This is fine. No. <laughs> gone on and on that's become increasingly difficult but now that the restrictions are lifted in that way and I can visit my that the handful of really close friends I've got there isn't much more that I need from the world I don't need to go shopping and I don't need to go to definitely don't need to go to nightclubs you know all the things yeah that maybe other people have missed and that's not minimizing other people's experiences I do really feel for people who need need those things in their lives um Mm -hmm. 
where was I going with this? I think, yeah, no, there is a good point. Let me get to it. Um, <laughs> I think prior to the pandemic, I was still people pleasing and going, right, I need to be someone who goes out and does something at the weekend and goes to the shops for fun. And, you know, a little bit of like structuring my life in the way that if you are neurotypical, the world tells you, doesn't it? You need to have so many friends, you need to leave the house so many times. Yeah. This is healthy living. And also because of my ADHD, I do get bored easily. So if I try and spend a day at home pre-pandemic, I'd be like, uh, right, okay, what am I going to do? Um, I'll do this right okay what am I, gonna, I should go out I can't think of anything to do and so I was also kind of struggling to occupy myself at home but needing that rest and needing that downtime and the pandemic has given me a space to learn how to in a structured way organize a chill day at home which means that I now absolutely love being at home and want to go out a lot less so it's changed me for the better in that I think, and a lot of autistic people who also have ADHD might relate to this. I think it's hard to get the downtime you need as an autistic person when your ADHD brain is going more stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. So how to find that more stimulation in a restful way at home has been probably the best lesson I got from the pandemic. Well, that's good. I'm glad like you found like some sort of like positive from it. And like you say, like, I guess for you, like having that ADHD in the mix as well, like you don't want to get bored and you don't want to, you know, overload yourself by like going out and stuff. Like it must be really like interesting to have the mix of autism and ADHD. Do you find that they kind of battle with each other or like clash together in terms of like what you want and need kind of thing yeah definitely so my my autism is like okay you've socialized with someone for an hour I think it might be nice now for us to sort of sit in a slightly dark room and and maybe chill out because I can feel the adrenaline racing around your brain and you're all tingly and I really think you need to bring that down a bit my ADHD is like no let's phone another friend (laughs) (laughs) you're like I don't know what's best for me (laughs) yeah and ADHD pretty much always win one pre ADHD medication right so yeah that's been really useful and I'm now I'm now at the point where I can recognize the overload before it's gone too far and do something about it which before it would be not recognize the overload keep going have meltdown yeah so that's That's really useful but I don't want to minimize at all that I've been really lucky I haven't lost anyone close to me or been severely impacted by the pandemic in any way and I know that's really privileged and I know that lots of people have had a really hard 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 time financially and losing loved ones and I I don't want to be like hey the pandemic's been great without saying that really yeah I'm really really sorry for the people and I do feel really privileged and really sorry for the people that that have had a harder pandemic than me yeah I always like I feel like the exact same way being like you know I kept my job I could work from home and you feel like almost bad to be like oh you know I really you know, love working from home when some people just, you know, can't do that or don't have the space or, you know, the dynamic of family and friends living together and stuff like that. So I definitely get that it's important to say, like, we're obviously quite privileged to have managed okay and not lost anyone and stuff like that. So yeah, you're definitely right. It's worth mentioning. Yeah, definitely. And I really want to ask you as well, you mentioned um, Coco a little bit earlier about doing some videos. So can you explain to people, what does Coco help you with? I would love nothing more than to obsess about my business dog. Have you got several hours? Um, I got Coco three years, three and a half years ago now as a as a twelve week old puppy. You know, through you know through a breeder. It, I was on a wait list for a year. I wanted a Cavachon specifically because I'd done loads of research into because I've got limited energy so I couldn't have had a dog that I could walk really far um, that I needed to walk often or really far and you know uh, my husband's not that 
keen on dogs so it had to be a dog that would be fairly intrusive I didn't want it to shut you know like so I came to Cavachon um and joined some Facebook group and and found a breeder and and got this puppy and had said to the breeder at the time I'm autistic and I definitely like her to be sort of part of my therapy really so she she was great and has we're still in touch now and really watched those puppies during the time that she had them to identify the dog she thought was going to be best suited to that kind of work Mm -hmm. but I didn't imagine that I was going to be able to have an actual service dog that I could take around with me because I thought that you had to go through a charity and all the charities that I checked out basically said no kids over the age of 12 and I was at this time 40 so I thought it just wasn't something that I could have and I'd done a lot of research I really what I really felt like I would benefit from that but I'd concluded that a pet dog that supported me at home would be definitely better than no dog so I got Coco and um she proved to be I mean just amazing just so good for me just everything I'd always wanted a dog and it's one of the few things I've ever done where it was exactly as brilliant and wonderful as I had anticipated it being and that's not to say that that would be the same for everyone but for me I don't find the dog care Every bit of it, apart from maybe picking up her poo, is <laughs> super fun and lovely mm-hmm. and great. But during that time, if I ever had to go to a hospital appointment or to the shops or to anything really, Mr. Purple would have to take time off work and come with me because I would get so anxious and I would have panic attacks and I would become unwell and I needed physical support as well. And so that was not ideal. And then I came across uh, someone that I know that is an autism advocate was talking about the organization that I use Pauseable being an owner train where you could train if your dog was suitable you could train your dog to pass the public access test and you pay them a monthly fee so they're insured in the way that any other assistance dog would be and there's a standard of training they have to reach to pass this test and so you okay. can essentially if you have the right dog they could become your service dog and I was right. so excited <laughs> immediately emailed them was like me me please, please. <laughs> definitely um, but they have to pass this initial like are they suitable because if the dog's really reactive or anxious or anything like that they're just not going to be able to do the kind of work that's needed yeah. because if you've got a service dog you're going into a hospital or a cinema or wherever really yeah. they've got to be to a certain standard of behavior or it ruins the whole of assistance dogs for everyone because no one trusts the standard you know yeah. so I, I took that so she passed the initial assessment that she was suitable and I took that training really seriously almost too seriously I think I thought I was training her to like guide dog for the blind standard <laughs> you know such um, a high yeah <laughs> Like she's got to be absolutely, perhaps not even really a dog, absolutely impeccable. You know? And I've kind of since chilled out a bit and gone, she's she's fine. She's not a specially selected guide dog puppy that's been, you know. Um, yeah. Anyway, she passed a public access in December. So she's now a fully qualified assistance dog. And oh. I now go to hospital appointments and shops on my own because when I'm with her, it's infinitely more manageable and in addition she's been trained to do specific tasks so she's been trained to interrupt me if I start to show the early signs of a meltdown she's been trained to interrupt me so that I get a pause point to go oh I should take myself off and calm down you know she's been trained to lead me out of busy places if I get overwhelmed and she's been trained to provide deep pressure therapy how deep I don't know because she's kind of a small dog but I'm kind of a small person so Um, she has her little jacket and it's just it's of all the support needs that I've had she's filled the most and I now just feel just 
as someone who's been through trying to get care assessments, trying maybe I can get a PA to go to hospital appointments with me. How do I how do I get my support needs met when the world, the council, is looking at me going, You're a mum of three, you're absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, how do I get those needs met? And so getting Coco feels like so empowering that I met I found a way to get my needs met through yeah. work of my own, training training my dog that has been really effective. And she's also absolutely adorable as I'm sure you may have seen she is just the cutest little thing and I love working with her and I will always hope to have an assistance dog moving forwards oh she sounds amazing and just to have like a little partner in crime to like you know go to the hospital with or just to know that you've got just something by your side that's gonna I, I can totally understand how she's a reassurance and like a constant companion. And I think dogs do that so well. They're just, you know, there for you no matter what kind of thing. And that's so lovely to hear of like all the amazing, like, you know, training that you were so like passionate about getting through, but also that she's trained to do so many, you know, specific things that will help you as well. Like, you know, even just like having like deep pressure must be great. Like in terms of having like, a little little weighted blanket in a kind of cozy dog form. <laughs> Prior to getting her to, to doing this, I had this like kind of misguided belief that the only dogs capable of training to be assistance dogs were Labradors, Golden Retrievers, yeah. maybe Spaniels, because Spaniels yeah. are pretty smart. Maybe Poodles. Poodles are also incredibly smart. But my dog was probably a bit stupid, <laughs> you know. Um, but actually, she's really, really food-led, which has really helped with training her to do the task. Right. <laughs> and, you know, she's not labrador smart but she's certainly smart enough to have picked up the stuff that i've tried to teach her and i also do still i have to train her every single day i have to do a training session with her to keep her in practice and the other thing that's happened that's exciting since then is so pausable are the sister organized and pausable aren't the only organization that do this there are other organizations especially for specific conditions if you have a look around but they are the sister organization of dogs for autism so dogs for autism also noticed that you can't get an autism assistance dog unless you're under the age of 12 and wanted to fill that gap and so they provide assist fully trained they're a charity that provide fully trained assistance dogs to autistic people of all ages of all ages which just doesn't happen so i'm really passionate about what they do and have been keen to support them to do that and they just recently made me an ambassador of the, the charities so that's really great because they basically I, th- I think want to be to the autism world what guide dogs are you know for, for the blind so mm-hmm. um so I I yeah if anybody feels like supporting a charity I'd strongly suggest that one because yeah. I think the idea that a 40 someone my age could go to this charity and get an assistance dog yeah as well as a seven-year-old is at is, is an acknowledgement a that autism doesn't suddenly get better when you're 12 yeah <laughs> being that you still have support and he's sort of acknowledging our existence really even in yes. its own way isn't it mm-hmm. and is this a uk charity yeah and this is, is a uk charity they're about i think they're about five years old they just recently got so you know if you want to have official assistance dogs you have to be in this particular collection there's a particular yeah. like organization that certain charities are in and if it's that kind of dog then it's recognized you know internationally and I think they just recently got the accreditation for that as well okay and the way that they work is that they gradually build a relationship between the autistic person and the dog so the dog lives with a um trainer and so you might do an afternoon with your dog and then you might do a weekend you know and it's an individualized personalized plan that they make depending on 
that person's needs and the dog's needs and they don't just use Labradors. So if you're an autistic person that needs a smaller dog, they also work with smaller dogs. So okay. I think they're brilliant and I'm really sorry to have gone on about them, but I'm really yeah, yes. support what they do. I'm definitely a dog person as well. So don't worry. I talk about dogs all day. <laughs> have you got a dog? Yeah, I have a beagle who is... Beagle. I'm just yeah. going to quickly Google what beagles look. I'm a bit upset. Do you have a special interest of I need to identify all of the dogs' breeds? Yeah. Once yeah, you see what one looks like, you'll like recognize. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, what isn't there a film that beagles are in? A film that beagles are in. Yeah. Do you know what? There's a couple I can think of already, like children's yeah. ones. And <laughs> they're adorable. And why is your very, here now? Very food led, very fit like anything. Is just a, like a, a bin for food, basically. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, Coco's exactly the same. It's really like we've actually wondered if we tipped, because we buy her food in massive sacks because it's cheaper. Yeah. If we tipped a whole sack out, when would she stop? <laughs> you know? You know would she? Would they stop? Yeah. Or would she? Or would she? Yeah, um, exactly. But the good thing about food-led dogs is it's easy, easy to train them. Yeah, and very like he's very responsive to his name off the lead, which is great because if you have food, he'll just come straight back. So, luckily, right. yeah, he's he's quite good. But yeah, he's great. He's he sheds a lot of hair, so would not recommend in terms of sensory <laughs> aspect um, because there's just hair everywhere. But as a companion, he's lovely. <laughs> How old is he? He he's getting on a bit now. He's fourteen. Um, so I think I got him when I was twelve. And I'm now 27, so I've had him oh quite a long time. Gosh, yeah. Oh. yeah, so he's getting, he's getting a little bit old and lumpy at the moment because he's just, I think they just get like that dogs. They just get a bit like, I don't know, like a bit lumpy and old and bless him. But um, yeah, he's great. <laughs> it's just nice. Just nice, like, I love dogs. I'm not, I'm really not like a cat person. I know some people are like obsessed with cats, but I'm just like, nope, dogs all the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like cats. I've got a cat. I do like cats. I will always have a cat. But dogs, yeah. I mean, I just don't yeah. understand why anyone wouldn't. I mean, I do because I'm glad that people are responsible and don't take on dogs yeah. when they're not prepared yeah. for work. But at the same time, I'm like, why, why is it that you live without a dog? Yeah, <laughs> it could really benefit you. <laughs> yeah, they're the best, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. Definitely. Um, I can't believe we've been talking for an hour already. Wow, it's gone so quick. <laughs> um, I was going to say to you, like towards the end, like obviously I want you to mention social media handles and stuff like that. But do you want to just mention about the like Purple People community and what that's kind of about if people might be interested in joining? Yeah, so I have a community that is uh, run from YouTube. So you can join it by clicking the join button on my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And basically, uh, the money from that community that I get from that community, YouTube take a bunch of it, but what's left, um, I use to buy equipment and pay myself for the hours that I'm working. And, you know, it's part of how I support myself. And in exchange, I make um, a monthly video that is exclusively for the purple people and sometimes it'll be a continuation of something I've talked about but I want to go more in depth or sometimes it'll just be a little bit of my life so okay. I do that but the really lovely thing about this community is that we have a discord group mm -hmm. and I can genuinely say I feel like I've been really lucky the people who are in this community are the most supportive group of people they're so oh. lovely and there's always comments about I can really be myself here I really feel like I've been able to be open and it's oh. They're, they're just lovely. I, I feel like where, you know, where are the mean people? They didn't join my club. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, they're a lovely bunch. And so I guess they know me a little bit better because I'm also in the Discord. Mm -hmm. And um, 
they always come to the live show. I do a monthly live stream. I also am going to start doing an extra one a month on TikTok as well, like one on YouTube, one on TikTok. So they <laughs> always come to the live streams and chat amongst each Like they're all kind of Aww. becoming friends with each other. And it's just the most lovely thing. And I'm so proud that I've got this little community. Um, so yeah, if you fancy being part of that, click the join button on my channel. And my other uh, stuff that I should mention is, so yeah, I've got TikTok. On TikTok, I'm at Purple Ella and Coco, mainly because Purple Ella was already gone. and uh i'm the same on instagram purple and coco purple on youtube and all the other handles and um it would be great if you check me out there and finally i do also sell like cool hoodies and t-shirts yeah i collaborate with a company called anxious who are absolutely well it's one lady i'm making it sound like she's got this massive team team, (laughs) it's not like you know marks and spencers so Mm -hmm. she's doing this really uh she, she has an autistic son and she does this to raise awareness and support autistic creators like me they're all organic cotton they are sensory friendly label free oh. and not insane youtuber prices so the hoodies aren't 50 quid for example great they're reasonably priced <laughs> good and they have positive slogans so the one that i've got out says we've got this for any moment that you're like i'm not sure if i oh no no it's fine oh, right. <laughs> and i've got a new design coming out hopefully in the next month um, so if you go to Born Anxious and in addition she's got lots of clubs with lots of different creators and it's yeah. just lovely stuff okay oh I'll have to check that out I'm intrigued to see what your like latest one's going to be as well yeah so, well I drew it Ooh. it's something I did draw with my very own hands and we were talking oh, earlier awesome. weren't, weren't we about how I love art but I'm not generally that good at it so, um, oh. yeah I'm quite like oh is it okay because I actually because do you pro- use Procreate? Yes, yeah. So I use Procreate. It's just the best, isn't it? Um, so it's what I did on Procreate. Oh, oh! I'm going to keep an eye out for that. I'm really intrigued to see what that looks like. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, I'll make sure to put all the links that you mentioned in the like show notes so people can just like click them. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that was everything I wanted to chat about. Thank you so much for giving up some of your time to chat to me. It's been really interesting to get to know you a bit more and hear all about your life and your work. So thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I haven't rambled or gone on too many no. times. This is no. what happens when I'm unscripted. But yeah, <laughs> it's been great to be here.